RadioInfluence.com. American history is on display as author-teacher Scott S. Powell sets straight the record on why our national holidays tell an amazing story about who we are on this episode of United Patriots Uprising with Gary Benford. I'm your host, Gary Benford. Thanks for joining us. This podcast is available at RadioInfluence.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Hope you'll subscribe to it, leave a rating and a review, and be sure to tell your friends about the show. Do you know why our country's original foundation is the most unique of any nation? Why our Constitution leftists are obsessed with tearing apart is the only reliable guarantor of people's creativity in a flourishing nation? That the primary cause of national decline is not institutional failure or racism, as we're being led to believe, but corruption and abuse of power? Leftist factions want us to remain in the dark in regard to pertinent information. So let's get into it. He's a teacher, an entrepreneur for more than 30 years, having founded two companies. He's a senior fellow at the Discovery Institute and was a fellow at Stanford's Hoover Institution. You know, that's big. He's been a frequent guest on national radio and television programs. He's had more than 250 articles published in publications, including the Wall Street Journal, Barron's Financial, Washington Times, the New York Post. This is big because this is we're going to end up talking about this because this has a lot to do with who Scott S. Powell is. He actually backpacked around the world for several years, moving through 48 countries as he chronicled poverty, oppression and dysfunction. He's here to talk about his third book, which ties into what the heck has happened to our country and what can we do to fix it. I'm happy to bring to the show the author of Rediscovering America, How the National Holidays Tell an Amazing Story About Who We Are, Mr. Scott S. Powell. Gary, that was about the best introduction I've ever had. Really? Oh, well, thank you. I'm humbled. Uh, yeah, uh, thanks. I, you know, I work hard on the introductions. And the reason I do is because, if, you know, if people don't know who somebody is, yeah, you, you, you have a right to have a general idea. I want people to really have an idea about why I'm bringing a guest on and what a guest has done, because, you know, your credentials are your credentials. And boy, you have some. So, uh, you know, you've written. Well, uh, I'm, an, I, I, Go ahead. I'm kind of a I'm a kind of a modest guy, you know, and I'm really, you know, I'm really suited for a, an earlier time, a pre-digital age time, you know, because I'm not into promoting myself, you know. I mm-hmm. I think mod I think modesty is a virtue, and uh, so I sort of, and I and I stay very busy in my work. So you know, uh, to the extent you're promoting yourself, you're not doing your work. <laughs> so I understand what you're talking about. Although a lot then, of people look yeah. at it as a, as a twofold thing: you got to do the work and then promote it. Uh, you know, and right. I'm not good enough to do that, I guess. And and then again, Scott, uh, to be completely truthful and honest, what what ended up happening when I started this? two years ago. It was a live broadcast. I wasn't doing a podcast yet. It was a live two-hour show. And on my very first show, the very first show, 
I had Burgess Owens when he was still doing Fox News. He hadn't even decided to run for Congress in Utah yet. I had Curtis Bowers of the Agenda documentary series. But here's where the introductions really started. I had on Nick Searcy, you know, and Morgan Brittany, and they were two Hollywood people. And I just with the Hollywood people, I said, I got to get this right. You know, Hollywood, you got to give them the big buildup, especially Morgan, you know, got all the stuff from Dallas and all the stuff. So right from the very start with those two, I just got into, you know, doing the uh, the buildup. But the buildup is only worth it if it's true. And boy, you've been there, done that, bought the T-shirt and have a lot to talk about. So. Why did you write a book based on holidays? Because don't you know holidays are racist? At least that's what the left is trying to convince us. Well, we have to understand we're in a we're in a war. We're we're in a a battle, a a, a full scale war of ideology, uh, a spiritual battle, and the enemy, the left, uh, which is secular, progressive, communistic, wants to destroy America. And so that's what motivates them. That's why they do what they do. Uh, there's, really, there's really no goodwill on the left to find areas of compromise. It's a scorched earth policy. It's a Saul Alinsky policy 24-7. And Saul Alinsky is the first one to, to have sort of, you know, simply – Explain the strategy simple. Don't take on people on ideas and policies mm-hmm. because we'll, and he was saying, we'll, in parentheses, because we'll lose that battle, but rather destroy their character, marginalize them, ridicule them, and then you don't have to take on any arguments. And that's what the left does. The left cannot, we have the truth on our side. In every single field, in every single area of life, we have the truth on our side. They have deceit, falsehood, and lies on their side. And but we we've, we've we've got to take the gloves off, and 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 start fighting more. You're right about that. And uh, since you mentioned Saul Alinsky, people, his book was called Rules for Radicals. You need to read it. It's That's where the people like Hillary Clinton taught it. Barack Obama caught, cut his teeth on it. And everything yeah. you're seeing now, Saul Alinsky out of Chicago, out, out of, you know, the, the, the very things that that's where community organizing came from. He community organized unions and 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 flipped, flipped that, you know, the Midwest on his ear. And this is where a lot of the radicalization came from that these radicals now, uh, and I'm sure you would agree, Scott, that uh, their their mantra is it's never about the issues. It's always about the revolution. And the revolution, yeah. from yeah. our point of view, you can't have socialism, which would lead to communism, where you have a free country with a constitution. They've got to get that constitution out of there. That's why your book, to me, is so important, because... Everything is aimed at turning over the Constitution, trying to get that out of there, getting trying to get us to give up our history. And our history includes, like your book, Easter, Christmas, Independence Day, which is the 4th of July, President's Day, Columbus Day, Thanksgiving, Veterans Day. There's a reason that those holidays are there and they want us 
to try and think they're all racist or this, that, or the other thing. So not only get rid of all the holidays, get rid of all the people that created the holidays and get rid of the whole premise of American exceptionalism or America, although a, a fallen nation, like a fallen people, like everything else, let's just scrap this and start all over with not equality, but equity. You got to understand how they change the words, people. And what they're looking to do is usher in socialism, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and the result of, of socialism would be mediocrity, decline, uh, and, and a collapsed and failing civilization. Socialism is, is a failed ideology. And the woke generation that has, you know, that has their vague uh, idea of the future is basically it's just a uh, you know, repackaged communism, uh, which is to say it's a repackaged failure. You know, the hope of the future is really lies in every individual, in, in the uniqueness of every individual, in their own vision, their creativity, their willingness to take risk and try new things. This is what has led to success. When we think of America as being an exceptional nation, it's exceptional in many ways, and we'll talk about many of those ways, but let's just talk about its exceptionalism in going from zero to 60 in less than three seconds, because America became a superpower in less than 200 years. Mm -hmm. it, it went from, from poverty to wealth and, and power in a very short period of time compared to other civilizations. How is that possible? It was not because of government policy. It was, it was because of the American people who kept finding better ways of doing things and capitalizing on it. You know, when you solve problems and you've taken time to solve a problem, don't you think you should get paid for that? That's what the profit, that's what profit is. And the way we measure success is really at a bottom line, a profit. And when things don't work, we know it. There's no profit. And we say, well, that didn't work. Let me try another way. Let me try another approach. And so our success is really a function, not of collectivity, of, uh, of thinking. It's from diversity uh -huh. and, and from the uniqueness of each contributing person. And uh, this is, I mean, this is really the dream of most people. Most people want to have freedom to pursue their dreams. I think that's, it's safe to say that even the woke people, if you really could get them to, you know, just relax and sit down and have a cup of tea or coffee with you, you'd find out pretty quickly that that's their dream too. What they don't understand is that the, the route that they've decided to take is a failed route. It is the, it, you know, it's, it's like wokeism is really like the pavement uh, and the cobblestones on the road to serfdom. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, when, when people want to tear down America, I, I can understand that people are critical. They're critical of the corruption in, in our country and in our government. But, but you can't, but no one can deny the power of the founding documents. You know, we, we could start with the Declaration of Independence, uh, where there was a self-evident 
reality that people are equal, they have equal value, and they have God-given unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Most most people say, yeah, yeah, that that's 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 right. That makes sense. But it was the Constitution, really, that formalized these ideas and created the first modern country in human history. We're the first country in which the government's primary role is to protect people's unalienable natural rights. I mean, absolutely, Scott. If, I have to. I have other, to ask you something right here. Yes. Before we go yeah. any further, because the premise of your book is what you're talking about now. The original foundation of the United States was the most unique of any nation in history because it protected and empowered the people. That is true. Yes. Here's the problem we have. The problem we have is slavery got in the way. What I always try and tell people, slavery was a problem caused by fallen individuals, not by that constitution. That constitution. So will you please explain about the foundation, why that constitution should be upheld, that slavery was not in the Constitution. Slavery was done apart from the Constitution, and we worked hard, and many people died to get rid of it. That's right. That, that's a big, that, that could take all of our time. I'll try to be succinct. First of all, the narrative that has been promoted by the 1619 Project is a false narrative. Slavery was not introduced in Jamestown in 1619. It is true that black African laborers who happened to be on a ship that came in uh, to replenish its food and, and water, they, 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 you know, in those days, you know, you didn't have refrigeration and storage and, you know, you had to resupply a ship if it was to go to sea. They had uh, black African laborers that they had actually, it was a, it was a British privateer ship that had gotten into a conflict with, I think, the Spanish uh, that that had that, that had black slaves that they'd taken from Africa. They came to replenish their supplies. They had uh, they they had these black laborers on board. They needed to trade something in order to get something, and so they decided that they could they could make a deal of giving these these black laborers as indentured servants in exchange for food and water. So they, they came into the Jamestown colony as indentured servants. This was a legal common practice. And there are many white people, uh, Irish in particular, that, that became indentured servants to pay off a debt. Uh, and, and basically it, it called for service to the person that offered the contract. Uh, free labor, they had to be taken care of with women board, but they had to they were available for work for a fixed period of time. Usually it was four to seven years. So those blacks that came into Jamestown were freed after they fulfilled their term of indentured service. Slavery got introduced really 30 or 40 years later than in the middle of 17th century. And it's, you know, look, no one is going to, no, no one is going to make any excuses for slavery. It's morally wrong. It's reprehensible. But it existed all over the world. world. Yes. All over the world. And so when, you know, when, when blacks got integrated into the southern plantation economy, the, you know, the agricultural uh, agriculture on a scale that required a lot of labor, unfortunately, 
It ended up being primarily black labor, slave labor. It was reprehensible. Many people in the South and people in the North felt it was morally wrong, and they wanted to see it end. But unfortunately, it became so much part of the economy that by the time it came, by the time we needed to get a, a, a uh, effective government in place, which is why the Constitutional Convention took place. You have to remember that America had won the Revolutionary War, but it had a very weak government under the Articles of Confederation. And the country was literally falling apart. It had no common currency. It had no taxing authority to raise an army to protect the borders that were being in, infringed on by the French, the English, the Indians. Uh, there was a revolution uh, you know, in, in Massachusetts that might spread to the other colonies. It, America was in a very tenuous situation. They needed to get a new government in place. They called a convention to do that. And it's absolutely remarkable that these brilliant statesmen were able to craft the Constitution uh, that, we, that we live under in only four months. It's just remarkable. And in that Constitution, they knew that they couldn't accomplish that goal and solve slavery. However, in the, in the, in the Constitutional Convention debates, they agreed that slave trade should be stopped. And so there was a, there's a clause in the Constitution that's, that slave trade would end by 1808. And simultaneous to the Constitutional Convention, there was a, a Confederation Convention taking place. And this was the actual government of the United States. Weak as it was, it still was meeting, and they were debating the, the governing of the new Western you know, Western territories, the Northwest territories, I think they were called. And it was vast tracts of land that would ultimately become states. And you know what that government did? That was the actual government of the United States. They outlawed slavery in the new Northwest states. It was called the Northwest Ordinance of uh, 18, uh, 1887. And they made that decision before the, the, the Constitution was signed. So if you, if you want to evaluate where did America stand on slavery, it spoke loud and clear that it was against slavery in the, in the very year that the Constitution was passed. In any case, we all know that there was belief also in the states, that the states had more power than the federal government. It was believed that the states, it was their responsibility to eliminate slavery, and, and the federal government was going to tell them just how to do it. Unfortunately, the states, it was so much a part of their economy that it, it, it ended up leading uh, to what ended up being a div divided country. When Lincoln was elected, he, you know, he, it was well known that he was against slavery. He was anti-slavery. And uh, when he was elected, he did not make it his policy to go after slavery in the South, uh, rather he wanted to unify the nation. So when he stepped into the office in 1861, it was a divided nation. We had seven states that had seceded, and he, it was his historic calling to keep the nation together. Well, what happened? He was losing the Civil War. The Civil War broke out about a month after he was inaugurated. And for the first 16 months, the Union forces, which were larger in number, better funded, were losing. They were mm -hmm. losing because 
Robert E. Lee was a far superior general. But in any case, Lincoln was a man of, of devout prayer. And in his prayer, you know, he, he knew that he was praying to the same God that the Confederates were praying to. They were Christian. The Confederates were Christian. And he couldn't understand why God didn't support his side because he thought he had the more just side. Well, apparently God spoke to him in his prayer. He said, you have to align the cause of the war, align them with my values. Values, uh, there and you go. slavery should be abolished. There you go. And so he, and so he did. And the fortune of the war changed after that. And we know, we know the outcome. Don't, don't let people hear this. See, this is what, see, you'll never, you won't hear this in, in, in your schools anymore. This, this is gone. That, they, what Scott just said, they don't want you to know this. They don't want you to know anything about what happened, why it happened, why that constitution that was created in the Judeo-Christian values, why it is that gave us the right to be free, one of the only nation that, that was actually took on a, 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 a took on a, a charter to be born free. Uh, this is where we started, right? And this is what you mean about the original foundation of our nation, you know, of, of our constitution. And now you, you were talking about the little known stories behind the holidays reveal what is needed to revive and save America today. It started back then, you know, back then. It, it really like it did. Started yes. then. Right. All these holidays we have now that people want to get rid of. They want to get rid of Christmas, Columbus Day, Thanksgiving. And nothing to be thankful for Easter. Ah, there's no Jesus. Please explain to him. Oh, the job is terrible. President's Day. Ah, we hate the president's Day. You know, we want we want uh, Sololinsky. We want uh, George Soros, whatever. Explain to them why the holidays are so important to know what they were truly about, to revive and save what we have right here, right now, confronting us, this resident evil. I'll, I'll do that. Uh, first, let me let me finish this short series. Oh, I'm really sorry. Involves okay, three, go ahead. No, no, it's okay. It involves three chapters in the book. First, the first, uh, the July 4th chapter, the 4th of July chapter, Independence Day chapter, talked about the vision of the founders of a society where people had equal value. That was the vision that was cast in 1776 in the Declaration of Independence. It wasn't realized. We know that. And it wasn't realized uh, after the Constitution was established. But the Constitution uh, is quite remarkable in that it, it creates a system to solve problems, an orderly system to solve problems. What happens in a government when you don't have a legal and orderly way of change and solving problems? Well, how do you solve problems? Well, in, in many countries, it's revolution only. Right. We had an orderly way. So, and that was the belief in the delegates to the Constitutional Convention that the states would deal with slavery. When they didn't, and it led to war, what, what, what happened to the Civil War was the, the slaves, slavery was abolished, slaves were free, they were given voting rights, but the problem wasn't fully solved. We were living separately, equal but separate, and that was actually codified in the Plessy versus Ferguson Supreme Court decision in 1894, where the Supreme Court blessed the fact that people were equal, but they lived separately. Blacks were segregated from whites. 
that led to, of course, to discrimination and so forth and all the problems. And that, that, that uh, existed, that separate but equal status went right into the 20th century, right into the middle of the 20th century. Mm-hmm. But what happened? God raised up a great man, Martin Luther King, and he made it his cause to solve this, you know, this, this blemish and this wrong that was part of America. And he worked for 20 years in nonviolent uh, protests, uh, speeches, sermons, and ultimately, and he cast the vision, right, in his I Have a Dream speech, wherein he said, I have a dream that one day uh, we, will, we will see a country where people will be evaluated not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. You really can't say it better than that. that. If that isn't the ultimate final word from God on how an interracial society should live, I don't know what is. But not only that, a lot of people forget another part to that speech that Martin Luther King delivered. He also said, when he gave that famous speech, that he came to Washington to fulfill a promissory note. A promissory note. What, what was that promissory note? That promissory note was the words in the Declaration of Independence about equality, that he came to fulfill that. And he did. I mean, there were 12 laws passed after, uh, you know, after Martin Luther King, uh, after the civil rights movement sort of completed its work. Of course, it was, uh, it, it was, it was tarnished, if you will by the assassination of Martin Luther King. That was a very sad day, but, but the work had been done. And we know in history that sometimes it takes martyrdom to bring about the final result. And King gave his life for that. And race relations in America changed dramatically through the 60s, 70s, well into the 80s. And one might argue that they changed you know, that too much preferential treatment came to be that if you really wanted equality, it should be based on merit alone and not skin color. You know, uh, uh, affirmative action might have given a little bit, tipped that balance. And I think most people were willing to do that because of to, you know, to fix the unjust imbalance of the past, maybe it was good to give some favoritism to the black employee, you know, the, the, the black applicant for a job over, you know, over the white guy. But in any case, we made enormous progress, and we know that we face a determined enemy from within and from without by what's, what is being pushed at us. Because critical race theory, the 1619 Project, this is like, this is like uh, taking a high-performance car, not only putting the brakes on and stopping it, but, but putting it in reverse and gunning it. Critical race theory comes right out of Marxism, and Marxism is designed to divide and destroy. It is, a, it is an evil ideology. Absolutely. Marx was an evil man. He Absolutely. really was. Do you know that four out of his six children died before he did? They died because they were not taken care of. They were malnourished in some cases, and they were all screwed up because he was a, he was a, he was a beast, even... Even Marx's father uh, said that he, he thought he was ruled by a demon. This is all in Paul Kinger's book, by the way, if you know who Paul is. 
Um, so I, I, I went a little bit too long there, but I well, wanted to okay, just bring closure. Please, yeah. Okay. But before I you close. To bring closure to this arc of redemption mm-hmm. that is part of our history. In other words, we had a problem in the founding. We had slavery. We had a, fought a war over that, but that didn't ultimately fix it. But it, it was fixed in completion through Martin Luther King, who fulfilled the vision of the founders. Now, people could say, well, it took too long, but you know, God's time is not our time. And sometimes it just takes longer than we'd like. I mean, one of the problems we face in modern times is that we're all too impatient and we project on the past what we want to have happen right now. But life isn't that way. But in any case, the problem has been solved and it should be about getting on with life and celebrating diversity. Well, here's uh, I have mixed emotions about Martin Luther King, uh, me personally, number one. And as a born as a Christian, a born again follower of Jesus Christ, that movement had a lot of validity. And I really think Martin Luther King started out in one way. And but what end up happening with the civil rights movement is just like every other movement in America. It got taken over by Marxists at some point. And eventually, this is what's led to Black Lives Matter, critical race theory and everything that through the civil rights movement, once it veered left, once it got off of a Christian point of view, once it got off of God's, you know, because God's not interested in black and white, rich or poor, male and female. He's interested, do you know my son? Have you accepted my son? And it's, are you following me? I'm not going to follow you. Yes. Are you going to follow me? Now, what ended up happening is the movement became about black and it didn't become about Christian. If it had stayed on Christian, the white Christians in the South would have had to make a determination or the white Christians anywhere. Are these black people, my brothers and sisters in Christ? If they are, I have to accept them as my brothers and sisters in Christ. The civil rights movement became about race. That's not what it should have been about. See, it spun off and look at what we have now. We have BLM, we have critical race theory. We have everything that you just talked about with that, that marks the whole thing, cultural Marxism about dividing people. First, they couldn't get us to overthrow the country by revolution. So then they go, we're gonna change the culture, black against white, yes. male against female, rich against poor, let's divide them that way. So I understand what right. you're saying. And I do believe Martin Luther King had great intentions at the start and that speech was great. But eventually that movement, I'm not necessarily talking about him, but that movement eventually went left because when you look at all those people who were leaders of the civil rights movement back in the 60s and what spun out of that, they're all radical Marxists now. Is that fair? Yeah, to the, uh, to the extent they're still alive. I mean, right. But the ones that have followed along the path, look at where they are. Yep. They're all on the left. They're all voting against everything that God stands for. And they are leading this charge for the overthrow of the very Constitution that, uh, you know, that they're saying they wanted to fight for to, for equality. You know, I don't disagree with you. And, and I I also had that uh, I, I had a. A reluctance. Um, it was something I didn't quite understand about Martin Luther King, and so. Uh, but my views of him as a Christian leader changed when I read his works. You know, when Thank I actually you. got into the work, 
When I got into the word of what he wrote, what he said, he was an extraordinarily profound man. And admittedly, I would agree with you that in the end, I think he, he, you know, he couldn't get the ball over the finish line. Meanwhile, uh, you know, an immoral Vietnam war is raging and he thought, well, you know, maybe, maybe we ought to have something to say about that. Uh, so he, you know, he, he got distracted. Um, well, you know, you know what it is, Scott, look at it from this point of view. There are two types of leadership. See, I have nothing. I have no problem with people being being activists. You know, if they're the right type of activist. But you're either going to be you're either going to be an activist for the world, like you're either going to be a civil rights leader or you're going to be a leader for the kingdom. And God's kingdom has nothing to do with civil rights or anything. God's kingdom, like in other words, Jesus. They they're trying to get Jesus. Hey, you got to do something about Caiaphas, and you got to do something about Rome. He didn't right. mess with any of that. He wasn't even interested he in that. He yep. was the only yeah, interested he, in my father's right. work. See, and so That's Martin right. Luther King had to make a choice: either you're going to be a civil rights activist or you're going to be a preacher. You can't be both. Yeah. And he tried to split that baby, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, he, you know, we we can never, you know, when we when we meet in heaven, we're going to we're going to find out the answers to a lot of these questions. Um, but certainly God has used imperfect people throughout. Absolutely. History. Absolutely. And I believe that, you know, God, you know, God was alive and well in the founding of the country and the drafting of the Declaration and the Constitution and Lincoln and the Civil War. You know, God, God, God didn't get it done, but God worked. Uh, and then Martin Luther King was, you know, was a godly man. God, God could use him, work through him, I'd rather say. Uh, and indeed he did. Now, was Martin Luther King perfect? No. Uh, he was a flawed man, actually. And what's, you know, what's remarkable, and I think what's encouraging for a lot of, of, of would-be Christians is, is to recognize that you don't have to be perfect in every way, uh, you know, to come to the Lord, that God accepts us as we are, we are and right. that God, God can work with us as sinful as we are, so long as we surrender to him Amen. and acknowledge our sin uh, and, and then turn it over to him. Doesn't mean we, we stop sinning entirely, although I think most people find that they're less inclined to, to sin once they brought Christ into their life. It's like, when you bring Christ alongside of you, you know, it's like you're, he's your friend. And gee whiz, well, you, you want to do the right thing by your friend. So uh, it changes your life. But, uh, but it's really quite remarkable that of all the religions of the world, only Christianity has a Savior, a Messiah, who would come down for, you know, from above, from heaven, come down in human form and sit with a sinner. And bless that sinner, and, and, and sinner. give a offered his and, life for yeah. the sinner, yeah, and right, and give it, give his life for the sinner. So, your message is right on, Gary. I fully agree with it, <clears throat> and it's, and, but sometimes you can't get everything you want, uh, and all at the same time. <laughs> no, no, absolutely of, not. Of and as you know, uh, God, God has used a lot of people, but a lot of like He used King Saul. You know, the time He used all kind of people. But once you go off, they see as long as we stay on His path, 
you know, he can bless us. But once you go off the rail, he replaces you and brings in somebody else. Now, Scott, you brought religion and and Christianity to me is not religion. It's a relationship with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Everything else is religion because it's man-made, you know, but you brought it into the conversation. And now when I gave you your introduction, I talked about you backpacking around the world uh, and uh, talked about, you know, uh, visiting 48 countries. Uh, I think since you have called yourself a Christian and people say, oh, godly man, this is great. Well, you got a pass and I have a pass. They've heard about mine. Fill them in on yours and uh, people sit down because this is some ride. Well, I was a product of the time in which I I, uh, I grew up and lived. <clears throat> Admittedly, the time things were changing rather rapidly. I I grew up in my in my um, uh, grade school years with Leave It to Beaver and Fathers Knows Best. Same here. Yep. So I, I, I'm dating myself. Uh, by the time I'm in high school, you know, we have a raging Vietnam War. Uh, we have heavy metal, hard rock, you know, cultures changing pretty fast. Um, and I was fortunate when I went to college, uh, I, uh, you know, I, I didn't go, I, I went to college because it was, you know, every, every, everyone was encouraged to do that, that your life, your future would be better if you went to college. So I went to college for, uh, but I had this, I was, I was kind of at a stage in my life where I really wanted to get out of school. And so I decided to drop out of college after my, my freshman year. And I could do that. Admittedly, the system allowed me to do that without risk of being drafted to serve in Vietnam. Although that was, that was very, the likelihood of that happening was less and less in the early in the early seventies, essentially the war was winding down. But in any case, I, there was no risk I could leave college. I did that. I worked, saved my money, and I wanted to go out and learn from experience by seeing the world. And that's and that's what I did for a couple of years. So I I left America as somewhat of a critic. <clears throat> you know, I saw the problems of America. I didn't see its virtues. I saw more of its problems. But when I <clears throat> when I was traveling through other countries and witnessing the dysfunction. <clears throat> The the uh, not just the poverty, but just the the dysfunctional aspects of, of cultures, particularly the Muslim culture. I spent a lot of time traveling through the Muslim world: Northern Africa, Turkey, Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan. And now tell people what hospitable. you look back. Tell people what you look like back there, because they know what you look like now. But you you had the hair going, right? Yeah, sure. I had you know kind of shoulder length hair. Although I think in my travels, I did decide to cut it short because, you know, when, when you're not taking a shower, except, you know, if you're lucky once a week, uh, you know, it, it helps to have short hair. So I had I had shorter hair, although, you know, it was it was not as it is now. Um, but I but I had a beard. So I, I look like a, a bohemian kind of character. But, you know, it was amazing how we were welcomed into into Muslim homes. Uh, country after country, city after city, because they have a tradition of hospitality. Uh, so, that, so we were welcome. They, I think we were, you know, we, we were a phenomena. I was traveling with another one of my buddies from high school. Um, but what, what happened in the course of all those travels was a deep sort of reflection. And I, and I was a Christian at that time. 
I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior before I left college. But uh, there I was traveling, uh, and, you know, I was aware that there was this supposedly this enlightenment or greater wisdom in the East. And so I thought, while I'm in India, why don't I go to an ashram, a, a, you know, a, a holy place, and, and see, what, see what wisdom they have. So I did that, and I went to a Buddhist ashram. And what, what, what I got out of that in the end was a, just an incredible realization that nothing holds a candle to the Bible. There you go. These other religions are, I mean, Hinduism is actually a, a crazy religion. It makes no sense. You know, Buddhism is more of a, you know, uh, getting, your, getting your, your, your harmony in your life in order to have this oneness with God. Uh, again, that's a works-based approach. Christianity, entirely different. Uh, so I had a revival of my, of my faith in that, at that time and a, and a recognition that the country that I left as a critic was the place I wanted to get back to. So when Amen. I got back to the United States, I, I was a bit of a changed person, internally changed. And I was fortunate uh, when I got back into night school, I had a history teacher that just he seemed to, you know, he loved America. I mean, he was a good, solid history teacher. And that was a, uh, that started, that prompted me to realize I needed a, I needed to go back to school full time. I was lucky enough to get in, into the University of Chicago, which has a great, great books program, Western civilization program. I thrived in that environment. I did well. I was older than most of the other students and I had to pay for half my tuition. So, you know, I got good grades. I valued it. I got really good grades. I got scholarships all the way through a PhD. And, uh, and then I started a career, you know, I started my career and I didn't start, you know, as a, as a, as a, as a writer, uh, I was a businessman. I've come back to public policy and to writing because it's really one of my first loves. And I care about the country. I wrote this book because I saw our country in such rapid decline that I just felt I wanted to make a contribution to waking people up mm-hmm. to how great the foundation of our country is. And with a, with a good foundation, you can reconstruct the superstructure of the house. You can fix this country by returning to those first principles, those first Christian principles. I mean, Christianity has all the answers. A Christian worldview would give us clarity on most of the moral confusion of today. You're right about that, Scott. Would... And, but you, you just mentioned the decline, that, that, you know, about the decline. You, you just wanted to change something. The, the, the chief causes of decline, you write, and demise is not institutional failure, but corruption and abuse of power. Please explain that. Yes, 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 yes. And people, you know, the hope of today is that the average guy on the street is now seeing things that he knows are fundamentally wrong, that he's been deceived. He's been lied to. And he's not just been lied to about treatment of COVID. He's been lied to about everything. Mm-hmm. He's been lied to about, about our administrative agencies. He now sees that the FBI is now using, being used as a Gestapo to intimidate parents who care about their kids and show up at school board meetings, that the FBI would be used for political ends. This is un- intolerable. This is not the America that, 
that is in the Constitution. So people are waking up. And when they get a full wake up, I think we're going to see a spiritual revival, the likes of which we haven't seen in a long time. And that, my friend, would be, you know, would be a great time of celebration. Absolutely. Now, you also say that true leadership, law enforcement and responsive institutions will work now to bring about correctives to the problems just as they have throughout our national history. Problem is right now, the leadership is not true leadership. Law enforcement, they're trying to strip it of its power. And where are the responsive institutions? We have to get back to that. We've given those yeah, up. We do. How do we get we them do. back? How do we get them back? Well, it, you know, we, we are, uh, you know, a country uh, with a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. So it's really the people, and that's why I wrote the book, and that's why we're having this passionate conversation so that listeners can say, you know, I got to do something. You know, I'm a busy guy, a busy gal. I got to put food on the table. I got to take care of the family. But I can set aside a couple of hours a week to be a responsible citizen. And there are countless opportunities to get involved in correcting these problems. But just in our daily life, we have to be a witness to the truth. You know, we have to, you know, we have to live in a way that's beyond reproach. I show an example. Be the light uh, in, in a dark world. Be a person that's joyful, have a servant leadership mentality, help people wherever you can in your daily life, but also get involved in, 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 in some activity that can make a difference in terms of the direction of the country. That could be attending the school board meetings once a month, every month. It could be uh, doing something with your local police force, showing appreciation. There's so many things that can be done. And then we need to vote. And that's really critical. And I'll say this, that we're in a war and therefore you should only vote for candidates who have a wartime orientation. In other words, these are people that are going into public office to defeat the enemy, to defeat the internal enemy, to defeat corruption, to defeat, uh, you know, to defeat those things that are bringing our country down. And there are a lot of candidates that are, you know, there are a lot of candidates coming out of a military background now. So we've got to vote. And then we, but once we, once we turn the, get the numbers, and I think we will in November, we're going to have a, a Republican House and Senate. We've got to hold every elected official accountable. And if they don't deliver, you vote them out, pure and simple. You know, the founders never thought, they, they had no vision for what we are trying to do today. And that is that we're all trying to understand, you know, policy in Ukraine and, you know, economic policy. The founders, they, they didn't think that the average uh, person, the average voter would have the time or the interest to follow all the policies, but they could vote. And so they had the, the confidence that the common sense of the people would be able to determine are things going in the are things going in the right direction? Am I better off today under this administration than I was four years ago? If the answer to that is yes, then perhaps you keep that that individual you, you 
vote reelect that person or reelect that party. If it's not going well, you vote against it. That's why I think it's going to be a you know a real washout for the Democrat Party because we all see what they really believe and what they're willing to do. They're, they are they're at war with American people. They are tearing down our country. They are violating the Constitution in the most fundamental ways. Remember, the primary role of government is to protect people's to protect the people, their unalienable natural rights. How are we protecting Americans by by opening our southern borders to 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 millions of illegal aliens, many of whom are criminals? This is crazy. Scott, this it is, is being but done here's the will, problem willfully. we have. Scott, here's the problem we have. I'm in total agreement with everything you say. I shout this from the rooftops every other Tuesday. However, as you know, the Marxists run the media. They run the print media and they control television. They control Hollywood. They control the academic schools. They've taken over the unions. They have actually infiltrated the evangelical church. The message that is that they're shutting us down all over social media, shadow banning us, you know, throwing us off Twitter, this, that, or the other thing. The truth is not getting out. It's getting out. You're putting it out. I'm putting it out. There's a lot of people putting it out. But whereas back when you and I were growing up, where what we saw on television was more of a wholesome holiness, righteous type of living and life where morality mattered. The the script has been flipped. And at this moment, they're controlling almost everything, including stealing elections. How do we get this back? Well, we start with we we start with prayer to our Heavenly Father. Amen. That's a good. Yeah. And we ask him for his wisdom. We ask him for his power, and then we build bridges to as many people of like uh, that are like-minded as we can, mm-hmm. and and we just take it. It's it's like it's like warfare, you know. You you, you sometimes you're you're bogged down, and you can only take you know a, a few yards of territory at a time, mm-hmm. and I think that's where we're at now. But so the people have got to take back the territory, and we we're seeing that happening. I mean, God bless. You know, Donald Trump for, you know, for having a vision for creating an alternative media. I mean, Uh um, Truth Social will be everyone will flock to it once it's really up and running. I mean, I don't say everybody, but I I, I think it'll it it will go a long way in, in putting Facebook and Twitter out of business because people, you know, even even people on the on the left, many on the left, still recognize that you you know they they want to have a fuller picture of life. They don't believe in censorship and canceled culture. The the leaders might uh, be pushing that, but I think the vast majority of American people understand, as Ben Franklin said so aptly. Franklin said. <clears throat> There's no such thing as public liberty without freedom of speech. Mm-hmm. This freedom of speech is essential in a, dem- in a democracy. Diversity of ideas. And if you scratch the, the skin of, 
uh, you know, of, of these elites in Silicon Valley, and you asked them the question, so how did you build Google, and how did you build uh, Facebook and, and Twitter? Did, did you do it yourself only, or, or did, you have a, a, you know, did you hire the best people that could come up with the best ideas to get uh, various stages uh, and initiatives implemented? Their answer is going to be, yeah, we hired by merit. We had people contributing to the vision. You know, diversity is so important in bringing about the best results. Censorship, cancellation, and collective thinking is the road to ruin. I hear you. Absolutely. Scott, you know, in your book, you you talk about a lot of holidays. You talk about Columbus Day, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's Day, Easter, Fourth of July, President's Day, Martin Luther King Day, Memorial Day, Veterans Day, Labor Day, Constitution Day. Out of all the holidays in your book, what is the one that you think we as Americans today, if you had to pick one, need to know about its origin and why it is so important? That would probably be Constitution Day. There you go. And technically, Constitution Day is not a national holiday where government employees get the day off from work. I added that. You know, this this book project was not planned. It, it came out of my work as a fellow, primarily at Discovery Institute, where I was writing on economic issues and then editors. And I always tried to place my work in the mainstream media. And so I got to know editors that sort of had an appreciation for my work. And a couple of them, uh, at least one, it started out with one asking me, hey, do you have anything on this upcoming holiday? You know, I could really use a piece on Memorial Day. Can you? Do you have anything? I, I don't, but I can write it. So that's how it all started. And I found that it was far easy to get my holiday articles published than my economic articles. So I ended up writing on all the holidays of America. And it's not so much, you know, what I wrote about them was not so, not so much about how the holidays got implemented, but rather the backstories of the holidays. Why, why? Why was that person great? You know, why was, you know, uh, Washington, which is President's Day and Lincoln, what, what are the stories behind their lives? What's, you know, Martin Luther King Day, what, what is the significance mm-hmm. uh, of his life? What did he do? What qualities of character did these people have that enabled them to be successful? So that's, that's uh, so I ended up writing these articles the readers of the are said, geez, I learned so much that I never knew about America because I have, there are a lot of backstory. I don't care how much you think, you know, history, you will find stories in my book that you won't, you would have to read far and wide to find some of the things that are in my book. And it's a short book. It's 200 pages. Anybody can read it. And it's short chapters. And it, each chapter is a standalone short story uh, uh, on these vignettes of greatness in, in the American history. Um, so, um, but Constitution Day, I added that to the, all the other holidays because it's so important. Now, it is what they call a national observance holiday. In other words, we observe it, but we don't really get the day off. off right. But it's the most important holiday because it tells us how the Constitution came about. And there are a lot of backstories in that, too, by the way, uh, because really the constitution has its origin in the Protestant reformation. Amazing, huh? Mm -hmm. Think about that. 
these ideas that we take for granted in the Declaration and the Constitution didn't just come out of thin air. Thin air they right. came out of the Protestant Reformation. It was Luther who said that mm-hmm. in, God's, in, in God's eyes, there should be a priesthood of all believers, that all people are, are equal before God. Each person can have a direct relationship with God through Christ. That was the priesthood of all believers. You don't have to go through a Catholic church hierarchy. Mm-hmm. He also said that people have freedom of conscience. And so the idea of freedom, unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness are rooted in this freedom of conscience. And in, in that also is uh, another one of these nine virtues I talk about, which is respect and tolerance. That, you know, not everyone is going to... It, will adopt Christianity. Not everyone is going to be saved. So you've got to keep, you've got to have respect and love for those people and tolerate them. Uh, And then, you know, the right to rebel uh, and and resist unjust and corrupt rule comes right out of the Protestant Reformation, primarily from John Knox, uh, wherein he said that when, when government is corrupt, you have the right you have a God-given right given to right. rebel yes. and, and resist corrupt mm-hmm. rule. And that's what we have today. So when, they, when people go to Washington, D.C. to protest what they think was an irregular election, uh, I mean, there's a big price to pay in heaven for these people that are holding these protesters in jail, most of whom were simply exercising their God-given right to protest. And, and they haven't they even been charged. Was, Right. That's a violation, I think, of the Sixth Amendment, the fifth of the Sixth Amendment to the in, in the Bill of Rights. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I mean, and that's why I'm, I'm, I'm saying as we tell these stories to people, we help awaken them. There are some people that don't even understand that these people are not charged. There's some people that they hear a little bit of this narrative and that narrative. and They think, oh, well, if there was an insurrection, yeah, yeah they should be in jail. No. There wasn't an insurrection of the patriots there on uh, on January sixth. There, there there was a staged insurrection there by bad go. actors associated by Antifa, Black Lives right. Matter, uh-huh. <clears throat> and and it was coordinated, I believe, with the FBI and even Nancy Pelosi, who did right. not bring in the National Guard, which Trump recommended. Trump foresaw there could be a problem. He thought there should be the presence. Uh, a deterrent, if you will, against a, pro, uh, you know, against a, you know, uh, any sort of uh, wrongdoing or shenanigans in the, in the, in the, in the, on the Capitol property. He had that, he had that foresight. Who turned it down? Nancy Pelosi. Oh, they didn't want to have security because they wanted to get their left-wing activists inside and create a media event that would have legs in the media and, and further discredit Donald Trump. And boy, did they run with it. Did they run with it? You know, Scott, I've really really enjoyed this conversation. I really have. You've been a great guest. What I would like you to do as my final question to you, since this is all about our Constitution and we know they're trying to collapse it, please explain to 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 the listeners about the Constitution that it's checks and balances protection that the checks and balances and the protections under the Bill of Rights is the only reliable guarantee of people's creativity and the flourishing of our nation. Please explain to them why this Constitution must stay. Well, I mean, that's it. 
I, I talk about there are three firsts in all of human history that was, was accomplished by uh, the Constitution. First, uh, the, we are the first country in which government's primary role is to protect people's natural unable rights. That's a first in human history. Second, the second first was we're the first country to establish extensive checks and balances. Why? To prevent government corruption, to prevent tyranny. Without checks and balances, the fallen nature of mankind will begin to maneuver and, you know, and exploit the system to their own ends. So checks and balances are there to mitigate that. And, and the third first was we're the first country whose government derived its legitimacy and its power from the consent of the governed. And that's why we have to get to the bottom of this issue of election irregularity and mm-hmm. vote fraud, because we do not have a legitimate government until we have valid results from an election that are, you know, that stand up to verification, forensic audits, and the, and the whole nine yards. So we, we stand in this limbo place, but I, I, I think that we're going to see things moving in our direction. Certainly people are waking up. And you know what? We haven't seen God's hand move yet. Throughout history, Amen. God's hand right. always moved, didn't he? Yeah. You know the story of George Washington, don't you? Mm-hmm. Where, where he was shot four times in a battle, and the bullets went through his outer coat, but not a scratch on his skin? No, How is that, that possible? One. I hadn't heard that one. But that's in the book. Oh, I'm <laughs> you'll, love, you'll love it. Yeah, you'll love it. You'll but love you it. You know about about Look, we, about let's God. Do, let's do God's this again. Hand, yeah, God's hand will. God's hand. He'll he'll help us out. But the thing is, he still needs people to take the trash out. For example, when uh, Joshua when Joshua when they when uh, they walked around the walls of Jericho, and they blew the trumpet on the seventh day, the walls fell. But God had told them, "You've got to go in and destroy everything in Jericho." When yes. uh, when David killed Goliath, the, Philist- uh, the Philistines ran for the hills, but the Hebrews had to chase them down and kill them all. Otherwise, they would have come back. See, what he's going to need is when he drops the hammer on evil in this nation, and he will, we're going to have to finish the job. We're going to have to take the trash out. And, and that's going to be a big part of this, because when people find out who are traitors to this country— and when they find out what has gone on with this virus and this vaccine, when they find out about the election fraud, when they find out who's aligned with China, when they find out maybe some of your favorite entertainers, some of your favorite, you know, uh, uh, movie stars, some of your favorite athletes, you know, are working against. And don't, the, and don't forget the abortion industry. Where and, yeah, I was and, getting uh, there. And human, and the tra- thing, and yeah, human when, trafficking. Right. When they find out all these things and why that southern border is open. When they find out all these things and everything with ICE and the police and trying to just completely collapse this country and what Black Lives Matter and its Maoist roots and everything is really, really about, are we going to have the people ready to take action to get these people out of power, out of the media, out of politics and make sure it never happens again? I say the answer is yes, it's just a matter of when. And when God knows, in my opinion, that he has the right people in place and he doesn't need them, he doesn't need a lot. He just needs some faithful. The hammer is going to fall and uh, great will be the fall of it. That's the way I see this. Well, what a great conclusion. Uh, 
to our discussion, Gary. Um, unless you wanted to keep going, because well, I fully agree with Scott, just what you, you know, said. Scott, you, you've been a wonderful guest. Please tell people how to reach you and anything you'd like to promote. Well, uh, first of all, I always try to be responsive uh, to anyone who reaches out to me, even if I don't know them. My email address is Scott P, that's S-C-O-T-T-P, at discovery.org. That's Discovery Institute, but just discovery.org. Scott P at discovery.org. The book is is now in its sixth week of being number one uh, among new releases in the history category, the history genre, go. as they say. Uh, which is just reminds got to be you know that that's got to be God's blessing. I I can't account for that, um, but it's it's a great read, <clears throat> and um, you can get it online very easily if you just put my name Scott S Powell and Rediscovering America. Google will give you at the very top. You'll see Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and so forth. So you can buy it that way. I don't know that it's in the, all the bookstores getting it online, and it's good that you've waited a little bit. The price has fallen a bit. Uh, but it's a marvelous read. I mean, it's the kind of book that you'll keep on your shelf and refer to, you know, when, you, when, when the holiday is coming up and maybe the grandchildren are over or the kids are over and, uh, and, and they ask or, or you just feel moved to talk about the significance of the holiday. Because most people think, especially the immigrants that come to this country, these holidays come up and they get the reason for holidays is so the stores can have sales. No, that's not the reason. The reason for the holidays is that we're commemorating the great people and the great events that came before us. We're standing on their shoulders. We would not be here with all these blessings were it not for these people who came before us. These Marxists, these critical race theory people, these Black Lives Matter people, they want to tear it all down, and they have nothing to replace it with except chaos, tyranny, and darkness. Yeah. And, and we need to be the light. You know, as we become that light that gets brighter and brighter, the darkness will just, you know, the, all the cockroaches will be seen, and, they'll, and we'll be able to, to exterminate them. <laughs> there you go. Scott, Scott, I know you're a humble guy, but... Don't you think you should uh, mention your rediscoveringamerica.net website? Oh, yeah. Yes. I, and, and do go to the, the website. Cause that'll, that'll give you reasons that, you know, if you really want to know why the book's important, rediscoveringamerica.net is the website for the book. And, um, you know, it's, it's very straightforward. It's not very long, but you'll, you'll get answers, you know, questions answered. And you'll get a better feel for it. Um, but let me tell you, you this this will be a book that will just stay on your bookshelf, and it'll be used, and it'll be used by the next generation. Um, and and it's a it's a great gift too. So um, it should be in every homeschool because this tells the real story of America. You know what? It should you 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 have it half correct. It shouldn't just be in every homeschool. It should be in every school to refute what they've done to our history books. Because they have completely no, I, I, I rewritten I, I, history. This book, hopefully one day, will become a textbook right. for America. Yes, I agree. I agree. And there are other great ones, too. I mean, I, I, I would point you in the I – would, I would, for, a, for a great textbook, Wilford McClay's book uh, is really excellent. Uh, the America, the Hope. I forget the exact title of it, but it's The Hope of the World or something. But McClay, he's, he's, a, he's a great professor. He's now up at uh, Hillsdale, 
he had been at the University of Oklahoma, mm-hmm. but he's he's written a marvelous book. And he, by the way, he praised my book. He's one of the one of the people who gave an advance acclaim. When you open the front cover of the book, you'll see Wilfred McClay's comments on my on my work. Right, so and the foreword I, to your book was written by Mr. David Horowitz, who was a recent guest on uh, this podcast. So, uh, yeah, you know, you're you're in, you're in great company, Scott. Scott, I really appreciate you coming on. You're 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 always welcome to come back on the show and keep doing what you're doing. Keep saying what you're saying. Keep praying and keep the hope because uh, we're in a we're in a, we're in a battle of subversion for the soul of this nation, and uh, we're not going to lose it. The way I say, no way, no shape, no how, not on our watch. And one last thing, I would encourage your listeners if they want to understand what we're up against, turn to Ephesians six. Yes, and read read Ephesians six. Put that armor and- on. Yes. And so you you will know what we're up against and what you need to do, because we've got to protect ourselves from, you know, from evil. And we've, we've got to be strong. And so, you know, Believer, in order to fight, put that armor gotta, on the armor of God, we got to put the armor on and we've we got to stay spiritually healthy and spiritually powerful and and, and confident. You know, uh, one of those nine virtues in the book is all about courage. We've got to have courage to stand up against cancel culture. I mean, you, you, you lose your job because you, you, you stand up for the truth. Fine. You didn't belong in that job. God will find something else for you better. That's and you'll, right. be glad, you'll be glad he did. I, Absolutely. Since you mentioned that, I was working at a health care office in 2015 and they were cutting back you know because of the you know the obamacare and all that stuff and i was older and i was just blessed that i had survived that long and i never i'll never forget because the person who ran the company uh, was a was a friend of mine and and he had tears in his eyes when he told me i have to let you go and i said i told him don't worry about it god has something else planned I had no idea. I'd never done radio. I'd never done anything like this. I'd been a sports writer in New York and I'd been in music management. I had no inclination or clue. And I'm bringing on, you know, the the guests that I've had, I've been blessed. You know, some of the names that you mean, you know, like Mike Lindell's been on, Bridget Gabriel, Lieutenant General Flynn, you, David Harwitz. It's been such a ride. And if I was still working in this healthcare office, all I'd be doing is, you know, doing something for myself. Now, you know, I have a voice, not necessarily a big one, but for, you know, to do something for God, family, country, constitution for time and eternity. So you never know what God, where he will take you. If one door closes, another will open. Right, Scott? Absolutely. And Gary, let me tell you, you are, don't underestimate your influence. You are a blessing to all of your audience. So uh, you I try to be. Work. Thank you. Thank you. I no, try you, to you, you are, you are. And, uh, God is using you in a very significant way. And, uh, I look forward to seeing your career flourish and, um, and hopefully we'll get a chance to meet in person sometime. Yeah. Scott, we're around the same age. So my career is over. <laughs> Well, my, you know, my, mine too, but you know, there's no provision in the, right. in, in the Bible Absolutely. for retiring. Right. There's no, oh, there's no such thing. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I, day, I work, I day work day working for the Lord. Right. There you go. That's it. Hey, Scott, it. thank you very much. And uh, thank you, everybody, Gary. there you have it. Mr. Scott S. Powell. The name of the book is Rediscovering America. 
I recommend it highly, and uh, what a guess. So there you have it, Mr. Scott S. Powell. Gary, thank you so much, and we'll talk again. I want to thank Scott S. Powell for providing the backdrop and backstories on segments of our nation's history and holidays. Leftist factions want us to believe our country isn't worth a damn because it never was worth a damn. Marxist disinformation. Don't believe the hype. This podcast is available for download at RadioInfluence.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Hope to subscribe to it, leave a rating and a review, and be sure to tell your friends about the show. There you have it for now. Thanks for joining us. So until the next time, this is your host, Gary Benford, saying God bless you, God bless your families, and God bless America.